this is what we can do with precision feeding. So having to feed one that is the high, like it to the, the highest level of nitrogen you need and the lowest, then you can mix together and be re- better fit the nutrient requirements. So yeah, you can uh, adjust a little bit better. So at the end, even we did a, a bump feeding. So in terms of energy, all the pro- all the treatment was like the same and all that. And we had, however, the bump feeding also, but we also adjust the concentration better than the con- than the conventional feeding, which is always a flat line. So, a whole new era of communication in the Canadian swine industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the Canadian and global swine industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Swinet Podcast Show Canada is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium, giving young animals a healthy start. Swine Veterinary Partners comprises four well-established clinics across Canada, Precision Veterinary Services, Premier SHP, Demeter Veterinary Services, and Demeter Services Veterinaries. Our nutrition group includes four companies, Nutrition Athena, Shakespeare Mill, Farmhouse, and Nutrition Partners, which serve swine producers all across Canada. Welcome to the Swinet Podcast Show Canada, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the Canadian and global swine industry. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Swinet Canada Podcast Show today. I'm Dan Columbus, your host, and joining me today is... Letitia Toutier, who is a project leader in feeding and nutrition at the Swine Development Centre in Quebec, or more commonly known as CDBQ. Uh, how are you today, Letitia? I'm very good, and you? I, I'm doing very well. Uh, thank you for joining us today. I'm excited to, to hear about the topic. Uh, before we get into in, into the topic that you've suggested for today's podcast, though, because some people might not be familiar with who you are and what you do, um, could, do you mind giving a little bit of uh, background on yourself and, and some more information? Uh, yeah. So first of all, thank you so much for the invitation. It's really an honor to be to be here. So thank you. Um, I come from uh, Quebec City, so uh, I don't come from agriculture sector, but I really had interest in agronomy. So I started to do uh, my bachelor degrees at Laval University in agronomy. And in the first year, I uh, had the chance to have a visit many type of farm. And I really have um, interest when I visit the farming barn with the little piglets and all of that. So I decided to, to start working there in a commercial farm during uh, the summer. And after I really loved uh, the, uh, the production. So I continued to work on, on that um, uh, sector. And during one of our class, we received the, um, the, um, uh, Dr. Kandrupamao come to uh, explain his research and present his uh, research on precision feeding. So I was really interested in this subject. So I contacted him and I had the chance to work with him during one summer to work on um, the precision feeder. So my uh, this moment, the, I was working on the parameters to reduce the cross-contamination between the pigs when using the precision feeder. And uh, this experience, uh, this work really uh, uh, told me that I love to do research. So I decided to do my master's degrees again with uh, Dr. Kamdupama on precision feeding. 
at that time, uh, the subject was to validate the, uh, the precision feeding model. And uh, so I, I finished my master's in 2013. And uh, at this point, I start beginning for, uh, to work for the Swine Development Center, donc le Centre de Développement de Sports Québec, here in Quebec. And uh, till then, for, for 10 years now, I've been working more on precision feeding. So try to bring my expertise from the master degrees to uh, precision feeding for sows, uh, mainly, or how to implement it now in our farm. Yeah, great. It's, it's interesting for me to see the number of people that come from a, a city background and make their way into, into swine. It seems to be... <laughs> Uh, a, a common a common feature. I don't know what it is about pigs that that uh, entices us from the city <laughs> to get into research to go into that. It's really yeah. Um, it's really interesting. It's like brand new. You know, uh, I think it it's uh, when you come from city and you don't know how it's working. When you discover this universe, it's like a lot of new information and and um, and it's really a great a great production. I think. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that the topic that uh, you've been working on and, and that you've suggested for today is is really good. And I think it fits in with some of those previous guests that we've had with Candido Pomar and Alain Remus, you know, with precision feeding. I know you you work quite a bit with them, um, but we have focused on grow finish basically uh, till now. So it's interesting. You, so you've been working more on the, the sow side of it and precision feeding with sows. So um, just give you the opportunity to kind of discuss what you've been what you've been working on and what you've been finding. Okay. Uh, yeah, so um, at the very beginning, we decided that we, I begin to to work on precision feeding uh, for sows uh, because it was a, a, a question that the producer had. So we had to move from individual um, uh, sow, uh, in individual sows in gestation to group gestation. So moving from there to the group gestation, what is the system feeding system that we should use? And we have the possibility to do a precision feeding sometimes on having two compartments. Does it have an advantage? So knowing that you have to buy new systems. So there was question on the field. So we decided to do a first and the first project um, uh, that was divided into. So the first part of the project was to do simulation. So we used a database where we uh, we estimate with the in rapport model, the nutrient requirements of each sound. So I mean, what's really happening at that time. And then we, uh, first of all, look at how conventional feeding is going with the nutrient requirement. And what we observed is that conventional feeding and at least in Quebec is really good for most of the sounds. Gill seems to be a little bit restricted at the end of the gestation. So uh, after that, we, with the model, uh, we estimate like different parameters to like precision feeding for parity or considering or not individual weight of the cells at breeding. But to a certain point, we will never know the number of piglets that she has in this, during its gestation. So we have to use uh, average or target performance parameters to estimate the 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 nutrient requirement curve. So at the end of the simulation, we consider that the most apl applicable uh, strategy was to use one lysine requirement curve per parity. So and it's on the other 
point to know is that precision feeding is mainly just during the group gestation. So if you have a breeding section, uh, individual crates that last like 30 days of gestation, then you can just start the precision feeding at 30 days of gestation. So after the simulation, we go on the, um, on a commercial farm where we test it. So we test our precision feeding per parity compared to the conventional feeding. And we, uh, we, uh, followed, uh, uh, about 400 uh, cells during two cycles of gestation and lactation. And uh, what we observe, first of all, is that uh, we can reduce protein intake without having any negative impact. On multiparous cells, we didn't see any effect on performance and we re really reduced the, 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 the nitrogen intake. For, uh, there's something that we saw that was interesting is that for the gills that we follow during two cycles of gestation, so the gills that receive the precision feeding during this, their first parity and continue in their second parity. So in the second parity, what we saw is a significant difference. So in terms of number of piglets that were um, bigger than 1.2 kilogram at birth. And we saw a tendency to have a better weight gain of the litters. So it seems to have something interesting for the gills. So after this project, we decided since we have our new research barn just uh, been built like in the last two, two years. So to start the project and we are still anali analyzing the, the, the result actually, but we decided to follow up and the gills, so we have all only gills at the beginning of a new farm and we have a research farm. So let's go, we, we go on it and we test it on, uh, again, uh, around 400 cells at the beginning and during three cycle of gestation and lactation to see the, the long-term effect that I'm calling if there was any effect. So to the, to this point, what we observed uh, again, that time we had, uh, and uh, precision feeding per parity again, but we added another treatment that was precision feeding individual considering the weight of cells at the beginning. So, and, and doing it during the breeding section also. So we had the possibility to do it at the farm. And what we observed to this day, so we analyzed the second, uh, the first and second parity, and we are analyzing the third now and the overall performance of those cells. But for the moment, what we observe is more effect now in gills. So we have more wing piglet, less mortality uh, in terms of stillborn piglet. So we, we saw a tendency also in the first project of having a little bit less stillborn piglet. And we, uh, we saw again, a reduction in mortality, which leads to a little bit more wing piglet. Um, so really we are now, as I said, uh, and the result will be, uh, uh, transparent soon, but for them, we, we expect to maybe that overall, what we, will be really the, the conclusion. So, uh, we are waiting to finish all of that to, to, to have the, the real result at the end. That's very interesting. So, I mean, at the beginning, you said that you had originally looked at traditional feeding, which I assume is the, you know, you feed one diet throughout gestation and that did a good job. So. What is the actual then adjustment that you're making with precision feeding and where could those benefits then be coming from if, if traditional feeding was actually, it looked okay. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But we didn't expect, normally precision pitting is really a reduction in the excess of protein that is giving. So normally we don't expect to have that much impact, positive impact for precision pitting. It's really a reduction of excess. Uh, but it's really the gills that was uh, that was that that we saw a potential because it was restricted at the end of the gestation where there is the the big demand of uh, the the big lysine requirement for the piglet so we know that it's at the end that we have a little push in the nutrient requirement so uh, it's really there that we that we saw it could be possible um, on the opposite, we didn't expect to have any impact on multiparous cells, and I uh, we didn't see it in our recent project on second parity. And first result now for multiparous did uh, for the third parity didn't seem to be that much. So if there is any impact, positive impact, we, we expect to be the gills, which we saw something uh, also. Um, there is, however, you know the conventional feeding is well feeding. The majority of cells, but really overfeeding. So sometimes this excess of protein could have also it had to be mobilized, um, metabolized by the animal. So it use energy to uh, to metabolize those proteins. So it could have also some effect on uh, sometimes body condition and all of that. So um, in our project, yeah, we saw some things on body condition. So we expect this is why we want to really look at what will happen after the third parity. Do we have any difference for that? But for uh, you know, for the performance of piglet, uh, we didn't see uh, that much for the moment in terms of uh, of uh, it, there is the mortality, as I said. But uh, for the weight gain to this moment at the second project, we didn't see that much enough. Interesting. So for the, for these projects, you you've basically been adjusting the pro the protein content of the diet. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, I guess one of the things that I've always thought about is you know we talk about bump feeding at the end of gestation and how that doesn't really work. And my big thing is that well, you're just feeding the same diet and you're feeding more of it, but that doesn't mean that <laughs> that, might, that it, the the sow might not just meet, need more feed, but actually a different composition of the feed, right? Exactly. And, and not just a lowering. Yeah. So this is the this is what we can do with precision feeding. So having to feed one that is the high, like it to the the highest level of nitrogen you need, and the lowest, then you can mix together and be re better fit the nutrient requirement. So yeah, you can uh, adjust a little bit better. So at the end, even we did a, a bump feeding. So in terms of energy, all the pro all the treatment was like the same and all of that, and we had. However, uh, the bump feeding also, but we also adjust the concentration better than the con than the conventional feeding, which is always a flat line. So, yeah, it's we can gain a little bit more. The the ratio is moving. Yeah, we uh, we work also. We adjust not only the lysine, we adjust also the phosphorus. So we were able to optimize a little bit more also the level that we were giving, and this helps also for the feed cost. So the phosphorus is six. Is it a is it a trend that is a little expensive? So we 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 will do also the um, the economic uh, the economic analysis to see what what we can gain for that. And if we finish at the conclusion that we have some impact on yields, then we will also add those potential to the the um, economic uh, analysis. 
Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the the phosphorus and calcium, and especially because the, the you know there was the thought that maybe if we have our cells group housed and they're moving around more, that that requirement might be greater, right? Because a lot of that re the requirement for phosphorus and that was developed in cell uh, or stall cell uh, house cells, right? So, do you think that you might adjust the model to account for group housing, or do you, or, or I guess are there plans to look at group versus stall housed? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, for the moment, we uh, we are actually doing another project on precision feeding, but really uh, focusing on phosphorus. So we uh, we start this project and we are doing like a urinary co uh, co uh, collection of uh, sounds to see if we go too low or too high. So we'll have some some da some data there to help us to to see if we go too far or or if it's if it's okay in terms of nutrient requirement in terms of phosphorus requirement but uh, now it's it's running now the trial so we have we start analyzing a little bit with the Laval University so we're with the Martial et Moni also uh, on this project so we'll see uh, in in the project that we have done we optimize a little bit the phosphorus but we it was really the light and that was the limiting uh, uh, nutrient. So we really focus on optimizing the lysine requirement and we adjusted a little bit the phosphorus just to have some gain also, but without just too, too be, to be too challenging in terms of, uh, of the phosphorus since we didn't uh, yet work on it, but now we are working on it. Yep. Good. Definitely likes to take his time. You don't want to look at too many things at, at all at once. But uh, I, that was it. Was one question that we had tried to look at a long time ago at Prairie Swine Center, but our group house cells didn't move around enough <laughs> to actually to, 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 so they didn't exercise when they were outside of the crates, or they just stayed, they'd stayed in the crates. So it was uh, a it's a difficult question to answer. But I think with with the this new technology and then, you know, the push to go with group housing, I think it's going to become more and more important to look at things like this. Um, I think, and, and, you know, just in general, the the precision feeding and looking at maybe more of a phase feeding approach in gestation, I think is going to be important when it comes to uh, sound nutrition, you know, for a long time has been, it kind of ignored, uh, probably because it's hard and takes a long time to do, like, you know, you're looking at years. To do to do your type of work to actually get um, some some uh, some results. So, I guess that with with all the work that you're doing, what would be like the final goal? Like, what would you like to see implemented? Uh, like, it, I guess at at the perfect level, or that maybe at the what what we would actually be able to achieve. At this point, I would say that uh, precision feeding preparity uh, would be an easy an easy precision feeding. It, it, it's like tomorrow you have a system like this, you can apply this uh, this strategy. So it's really, you don't need to weight the cells or anything. So we just a uh, nutrient requirement curve for parity. And when you're doing your nutrient requirement curve, just be sure that you target performance, not using maybe just an average performance, but because if you are using an average performance, you may underestimate half of yourself. So just be sure to well uh, establish your curve. But when you have the nutrient requirement curve, then 
it's easy to just put the guilt on those on those on those uh, nutrient requirements and and exchange and you will have a gain on feed cost and um on excretion also so um now you have we have to validate if there is another other impact on performance that could help to uh, again uh, make that more um interesting for the big producer but that will be uh, at this moment the best we can do but to a certain point even um, we have to validate ingestion might be not the ideal, might not be not far away of that because, you know, you will never know how many piglets there is in the gestation. You don't know what will be the weight gain of those, uh, of those piglets and it, it and, and it drives a lot the, uh, the, the nutrient requirements. So, so it might be per parity since to be quite okay, uh, to this point. Um, for the lactation uh, precision feeding, so uh, in our uh, we work a little bit more on simulation to see what was the potential. So we didn't have yet done trials. So few project, few other um, researchers have done uh, th- those type of project and or are doing actually some project on that. But uh, on lactation, actually, again, we can work on with uh, curve per parity. Uh, and it could work well also, but eventually what would be the most interesting is really to have a dynamic way of, you know, knowing what the sows is eating and to adjust really individually every uh, concentration that we give to each sows every day would be uh, probably the best eventually for the for the sows so to a more dynamic way of, uh, of doing a precision feeding for the lactation. Yeah, I, I think if anything, one of the benefits would be of just looking at nutrient requirements in, in the gestating and lactating cell, right? And and getting those right, <laughs> you know? And especially when I think of the issues that we're having with cell uh, mortality and longevity and stuff like that, I, I, I might be biased, but I personally think a lot of it has to do with nutrition and that, you know, we've made all these advances in the cell, but little advances in the nutrition. So I think that'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see where, where this research goes. And yeah, eventually it would be to, because um, those models come from data, but we adjust it for parameters, but it would be interesting to have level, you know, uh, like I've done in my master's study. So bringing the precision feeding to the, what what the model is saying that is the right requirement, but increasing like 15% more or 30% more and to see if there is any any differences because it is what is hard with the cells. So there is too, so many variability that if you don't have many cells, you may not see anything and you say that it's okay, but maybe if you had more, you would have seen something positive or not. So it's where <laughs> where it's a little bit difficult with the cells and you need to have a lot of, lot of animal. So with our new research barn, uh, here we have a 600 uh, sow barn uh, in batches uh, 125. So every month we have 125 sows. We are trying to have more research on that and to continue to work on precision feeding. And we will, as I said, we didn't do yet project on precision feeding and lactation. But we plan, of course, to do a follow-up of our simulation to to test it in our farm. What What do you see as the 
potentially biggest obstacle to adopting this on, at the farm level, right? Is it is it the knowledge or is it the equipment or, or, or something else? Um, for the moment, I would say that there there is the equipment. And when you're using like a curve for parity, it's easy to implement now. Um, so for the moment, I would say that it is more the knowledge. So how to implement it? So I've seen... Um, I've talked with many people and I've seen some studies and even I did some uh, some studies where I had my own challenge. So <laughs> you have to pay attention when you are doing the precision seeding. So I would say that uh, if you plan to do a, a, a test and to validate what what is the impact of precision feeding to a conventional, you want to implement it on your farm. Um, the first thing I would say is just uh, pay attention to how you, uh, you you're 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 establishing the parameters to your curve. So, and just be conscious of how you're actually doing with your conventional feeding. So, are you feeding like eighty percent of your animals, or you're feeding the highest level, the highest uh, nutrient requirement animal, or the eighty percentile, or the average? And just keep in mind to have the same strategy in the precision feeding. So if you have, uh, you, you want to do precision feeding, then don't use an average if you're focusing on an every and an 80 percentile uh, pig. So you have to have the same strategy. And then put this, before starting a project, just put your conventional and your precision feeding curves in a graph and validate that there is you know, that it's logical. So your precision feeding should be not that far away from your conventional. So if you're too far away, it might be something that there isn't, it's not, you have too much merging on your conventional or your precision feeding is not using the right animal. So normally at one point, it should even touch each other. But most of the time, precision feeding, of course, is lower. So we can reduce the protein intake, but you have to pay attention of how you're doing uh, you're a two to, to, to be sure it will work. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, to don't underestimate too much. So it could happen sometimes, so precision feeding. So when you are doing it with another model, then what you're using in your conventional, so you have the effect of model and then you have the effect of precision feeding. So yeah, it's art. It, it is that that is pretty challenging, I think that, and sometimes it's not always uh, done correctly, I think. I, I mean, that's that's the thing that we tell people all the time with nutrition regardless, right? Know what you're feeding, know, know who you're feeding, and does it actually come out the way you expect, right? And it's amazing how many don't know <laughs> if what they're doing is actually effective or not or how close it is. But yeah, I also think it's interesting, you know, on, on the south side, we have the equipment available, but the knowledge is lacking. And on the grow finish, we have the knowledge, but the equipment is is the, you know, just from a, an investment standpoint, because you need so much more uh, of the equipment on, on the growth and side. But so hopefully we can get the two together and get these both implemented uh, on the fire. So uh, while we're, we're getting close to the end, uh, was there something else you wanted to talk about before we get kind of into the final message? And No, I just, I just mentioned it. I think it's really important when you want to apply precision feeding, Joseph, take the time at the beginning just to validate if you have really a reduction in protein. So it's really important because if you don't have it, it might be something. <laughs> and <laughs> so pay attention to how and 
don't forget to to focus on the right parameters to establish your nutrient requirement. So, so it's really important. Yeah. So I, t- I take it that's your take home message, or do you have a, t- a take home message that you? Want? It, 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 it can be that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I, I I think that's great. Looking forward to to seeing more of the results that you come. We'll definitely have to have you on uh, again to to discuss things as as you find out more. It's time for our famous three. So at this point, we get to the other three questions that we ask all of our, our guests. And I gave you a little bit of warning right before. So hopefully you've <laughs> you, you, you thought about it and have uh, have some responses. So um, our first question is, what is your favorite wine-related book or resource? So as a French-Canadian, I would say that oh, it's not a Canadian book, but... <laughs> I would say that uh, the paper though from the Journée de la Recherche Postin is uh, really great for you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, then this one, uh, we get some interesting responses to this this next one. So, um, what is your favorite book or resource outside of agriculture? This can be, you know, a, a fiction, a nonfiction, uh, you know, something, whatever you want. Uh, I really it. <laughs> I'm. I really love all that is historical and uh, the the two wars. So I have a book on the uh, infography on the on the uh, on the war. So it's really an historical book that I love. So yeah, histoire histoire du monde en infographie. <laughs> yeah, French again. I'm sure the French people will, will look it up. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm admittedly a bad Canadian. I don't know French, so it's not. <laughs> uh, okay, and then our final one is um, what you think, what, what characteristic you think sets uh, successful swine professionals apart from those that are, are not necessarily successful or as successful as, as the best ones? I would say that uh, rigor would be very important. I think it's uh, it's essential for a professional to just take time and be very rigorous for all he's doing. And I would say that curiosity, of uh, of course, also uh, brings uh, a better uh, professional for that. Good, good for the professionals and for the the students that we're bringing through and training too. To <laughs> Be curious, but also be, yeah, have, have the rigor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because so very good. Uh, well, that, so that brings us to the end. So I'll, I'll thank you once again for, for agreeing and coming on and, and talking about this very interesting topic with precision feeding. I think it's the future of agriculture <laughs> uh, uh, and, and, and definitely has potentials. Thank, thank you once again. Thank you so much again for the invitation. It was really a pleasure.